Anybody ever heard of Rosaria Butterfield? Okay. A few of you. You heard of her this morning, didn't you? <laughs> Let me tell you about Rosaria Butterfield in a quick synopsis. She would, she would have described herself as an atheist, lesbian, English professor at Syracuse University before she was born again. And she wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert with a subtitle, An English Professor's Journey into Christian Faith, where she details her conversion and her sanctification. And I won't get into her story this morning, but you need to check that book out if you can. It's really good. But I want to share with you an excerpt, excerpt from a time when she was learning how to trust God. And then I want to share with you how that applies to our gathering this morning. She had been born again and had moved from Syracuse, New York to Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And things were not going smoothly for her. You can imagine, I mean, you go from being an atheist, lesbian, English professor to a non-lesbian theist teaching at a Christian college. So that's where she was at pretty quickly. Things were rough for her. She was really struggling. In this time, she came across a familiar psalm, Psalm 23. I want to read it for those of you who haven't heard it, and for those of you who have heard it, I, want, I really want you to focus in on what's being said in this psalm. Matter of fact, as we read, have you stand one more time because the Word of God is important. And we want to respect the Word of God and the God of the Word. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Trust me on this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Oh, you got it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you know our needs and you provide those needs, and you have a perfect plan. You are perfect in all of your ways. Help us to celebrate that perfection, that plan, and your provision this morning, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So, Butterfield had said about this psalm, it was Psalm 15 that got me to Beaver Falls, and Psalm 23 kept me there. She said, for my birthday that year, her friend Floy had given her a little book by F.B. Meyer called The Shepherd's Psalm. In it, I found what we in English studies call a controlling metaphor which is a powerful, albeit understated, idea that holds all the other parts of a paradigm together. Now, you guys that were here for the tally-ho vision talk know what a paradigm is. It's how you see things, right? So let me, see, let me say that again. She said she found in Psalm 23 what we in English studies call a controlling metaphor, a powerful, albeit understated, idea that holds all the other parts of a paradigm together. 
This, Psalm 23, I believe, she says, is the controlling metaphor of the Christian life and one that I first found in Meyer's book and first seized in that little cozy apartment during my first day in Beaver Falls. Now, why would Rosaria Butterfield say that Psalm 23 was a controlling metaphor for the Christian life? And I think much could be said here, but I am sure of one thing. God as a shepherd and His people as His sheep is a major, mega, meta-theme in the Bible. Much could be said here, again, but let's suffice it to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds. Moses, 40 years as a shepherd. David, shepherd boy. Who did the angels appear to when Jesus was born? You don't get a gift card for this, but you can answer it. Shepherds. And I think we could look and be safe and say that God both shepherds His people and He appoints leaders over them whom He would refer to as shepherds. Jesus said in John 10 that He was the good shepherd. He also says that in the last days the nations will be separated like a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And that's just a small smattering of the shepherd-sheep analogy that we see in Scripture. A controlling metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. Which brings us to what's going on here today. The talk of shepherds and shepherding didn't stop once Jesus left the earth. When Peter, who had heard Jesus call himself the good shepherd, wanted to speak to the leaders of the young church, he said something in 1 Peter 5 that I want to read for you. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And what does he ask them? All right. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, according to Peter, what were the elders supposed to do? Shepherd the flock. That's in verse 2. And then in verse 3, they were supposed to be examples to the flock. And then in verse 4, it says they will give an account and receive a reward from the chief shepherd. And then there's the warning here in verse 5 for those who don't want to submit themselves to shepherding, saying God opposes the proud. So in these five verses, you get a heavy dose of shepherd and sheep speak. So, as we come to this momentous day, and I do want to say this is a momentous day for this church, we should naturally run to the shepherd and sheep analogy, the controlling metaphor, to see how both a shepherd and a flock should respond as we install 
our newest slash oldest elder. And I want to quickly look, and I say quickly, this is, I've always said I don't like to give you sermonettes. You know what you're getting this morning? Sermonette. Sorry. I want to quickly look at what the New Testament says about elders, who they are, what they do, what qualifications they must meet as we go about the business of appointing one. Why elders? We see the standard operating procedure of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and his church planting as he wraps up his first missionary journey and that standard operating procedure was to appoint elders. Let me pull that up. Acts 14.23 And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them, the believers, the new churches, to the Lord in whom they had believed. So let me tell you how this would work. <clears throat> this is Paul on his first missionary journey. So first means it hadn't been done before. <clears throat> he'd come into a town. He'd preach the gospel. God would bring about fruit. People would be saved, born again. The new believers would begin assembling, which is what believers do. And Paul, on his return trip home after he had been through these cities, he came back through the same cities. He got with these fledgling churches and he said, we better vote and pick a pastor. No, that's not what he did. Let's call for a congregational vote and see who y'all think is the most popular and well-equipped person to do this job. No, that's not what he did. As he came back through, it says with prayer and fasting, they appointed elders for the churches in every city. So that was his standard operating procedure. And it included elders in every church. This is reflected also in Paul's letter to Titus when he says in Titus 1.5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So from the beginning, we see the concept of plurality and we see the concept of elders. Plurality of elders in each church. And that's one of the reasons that when it came down to me as an elder, I quickly appealed to Steve and to Will and appointed them into a dual role as deacons and elders. This thing we call the church should never be run by one person. Never. It doesn't work. It's not biblical. They appointed elders in every church. Plurality of elders. And let me say this about Steve and Will. These two men have served you guys very well. Very well. In one of the hardest periods of this church's existence, Stephen Will served in an exemplary way. And as of today, they are back to being only deacons. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank your families. And praise God that you've served so well in this time. God bless you guys. I really appreciate it. Okay, so we have a plurality of elders in each church. Now at this point, I want to read to you what the Providence Bible Church member covenant sets forth as what we see the Bible saying about this plurality of elders. What their role is, what is expected of them. And so this is from, and you're not going to be able to read this, you're going to have to take my word for it because it's going to be really small. Oh, that was up there. Okay, you ready? 
don't, don't worry about it. Okay, I'll read it. If you signed a membership covenant to Providence Bible Church, and if you are a covenant member, this is what you agreed to as far as elders go. We recognize that while many local congregations are governed democratically by congregational vote, this church family is solely governed by the pastors, which we believe is the biblical pattern. Pastor or shepherd is a biblical title and office in the church. Other titles that are used interchangeably with this term are elder and overseer. The pastors are responsible to follow the senior pastor, who is our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, in guarding the church in both doctrine and practice. We realize that it is to our advantage to submit joyfully to their leadership. The pastors are solely responsible for determining when church discipline is biblically warranted. This includes those sad and extreme cases where expulsion from the assembly is necessary for the name of Jesus. The pastors are imperfect, but we affirm their biblical call to shepherd the flock. Now that's a mouthful. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot in that we recognize statement. What you see plain again is the shepherd sheep concept. That's in there. But you see also the call for an elder-led congregation. This harkens back to the passages we saw earlier about appointing elders in every church, but it also draws from Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In this verse in Hebrews, it's clear that elders, leaders, are to be obeyed, submitted to. Now something we said here Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked about the concept of authority. And we said that nobody in the church has any more authority than anybody else. And what we were speaking of Wednesday night was concerning the Great Commission. Nobody has any more authority to fulfill the Great Commission in this church than anybody else. All authority has been given unto who? Jesus. And that word authority is exousia, out of my being. So he said, all authority is given unto me, so you go and make disciples. Now, there is a distinct type of authority in the church, just like there is in the home. Husband and wife, co-equal. But the man, the husband, has a position of authority. That doesn't mean that one is more important than the other. There is complementarity there. And in the church, that analogy pulls over, the elders have a certain authority that is to be submitted to. And what this verse tells us is, several things actually, leaders are to be obeyed, they're to be submitted to. It also shows that those elders, those leaders, will give an account for their leadership. And that account will be given to the chief shepherd. That's very sobering. Very sobering. We also see that it is to the advantage of the one submitting to submit and obey and not to be a source of groaning for the leaders. Ray Vanderlaan said it well when he said, wandering away from the shepherd is a very dangerous position. Leaders lead and those being led obey and submit. And this is for both parties' good and for the glory of God. Now with these thoughts in mind, we come to the qualifications for an elder. Now these are familiar passages. They can be found in two main places. That was a pretty good 
1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which could be elder as well, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, here's the qualifications, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. There's that submissive word again. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And we can also, we mentioned Titus 1.5 earlier. There's also a passage in Roman, uh, Titus 5, 1, verses 5-9. through 9. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, that's a lot of qualifications. I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself there. I'm not going to go back and list them all. But with those qualifications and with these thoughts in mind, I do want to commend to you, Providence Bible Church, Don Smith, who was a founding elder of this church, and now I want to commend him as our newest elder. And as I commend him to the Lord and to you, I also want to charge him in this time to continue to strive to be an under-shepherd here at Providence Bible Church, taking his example from Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, who tells us directly what it means to be a good shepherd. And this is really where I want to, for Don to see, and I know that he knows. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Alistair Begg said the elder must be willing to, nay, eager to, lay down his life for the sheep. And I believe this man, I believe Don Smith, is eager to lay down his life for you, Providence Bible Church. I believe that. And let me just say as quickly as I can how thankful I am personally that God has brought Don and Barbara here, that He has known our need and He has provided. And He hasn't just provided. Let me just tell you, we need an elder. God sends us a very good elder. We need a building. God sends us a very good building. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. 
So we say, thank you, God, for your faithfulness, for your kindness, for your grace to your children. And I see that exemplified in Don Smith. And I see a man who is willing, nay, eager to lay down his life for the sheep. And I'm so thankful for that. And let me just tell you what, I'm going to be like an ivy-clinging vine for this man. I'm going to suck the life out of him. Uh, I'm going to cling to him for counsel and insight and mentorship and friendship and love. And uh, you're going to meet a great need in my life, brother. And I appreciate that. I thank God for that. So I want to ask Don, if he would, to come up here. And I commend him to the grace of God in the service of this body of believers, this flock that belongs to God. Do you want to share anything? I appreciate uh, being able to come back because a lot of times you leave places and they won't let you come back. I feel a little bit like um, Cecil Underwood. He was the youngest governor of the state of West Virginia and the oldest governor in the state of West Virginia. Separated by about 40 years, I think. Uh, <clears throat> I was the oldest elder 10 years ago, and I still am, again. And I, I count it as a great privilege. I really do. And I feel the same way that Jason does about his friendship. And I know from secondhand reports from my boys, including and particularly Andrew, uh, what kind of man he is. And I've heard him handle the Word of God skillfully, accurately, and I just want to be here. I'm excited as I get. I'm not a very excitable person, but a lot goes on inside that you don't see on the outside because one of the qualifications for an elder is to be self-controlled, and I try that. And I generally, that when you sing how deep the Father's love for us, I cry. But I'm 67 years old. I know I don't look it. I look more like 70, but <clears throat> I'm excited as I get about anything to be here. And uh, I really am humbled because I know James makes it clear that teachers have a greater responsibility. It's frightening to me. I'm, I'm a person who would rather have not have any controversy. That's my nature. But also, as an elder pastor, it's been my unhappy privilege to minister excommunication to people unwilling, not to just submit to the elders, but particularly submit to the Lord and through teaching the Scripture. And I promise you, I don't play church. We don't design the church for unbelievers. The church is a place, a meeting of the church is for believers in worship of the Lord. Invite all your unsaved friends. We want them to come, but not so they can be entertained. Jason's role in mine is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. That's what I pledge to do as my role. Barbara has been a successful, faithful disciple of women, and together with me, with men and women. And that's what we like. That's what we're gifted at. That's what we'll do. Our doors are open. Matter of fact, doors in two places are open right now. But 
we're anxious to get here and be a regular part of, of the church family. I don't see anything that you do that I don't approve of. I see some things that I'd like to add, and you saw some of them this morning. I think we should be faithful in public reading of the Scripture. I think we should be reminded of creeds and promises like the church covenant, like the Apostles' Creed, and there's others. I think we need to catechize one another with these truths. I think in that sense we need to be a little formal in our instruction. But remember, I don't know if you realize it or not, but at last count, Barbara and I had 25 grandchildren. All of them are welcome around the table. The ones in diapers, the ones in college. The church is not age-segregated. We are all in this together. We are a congregation of believers. We do have all authority for the Great Commission. But yet we have a very clear structure in the Scripture. And here's one simple old man who's going to do his part to be a faithful elder to you and to yours. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you'd use me in the new place. I pray, Lord, that not for my glory, but for your glory, that I may be found faithful and depend upon your strength and the love and care and support of this people. I thank you, Lord, that you've provided all things. Great is thy faithfulness. I pray, ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. Steve, Will, would you guys come up here and want to practice something we don't practice much? That's the laying on of hands. And that's not some weird, scary thing. If you want to, you do what you want to do. Okay. We're going to pray for Don as we install him, reinstall him. Sounds like a piece of furniture. Um, <laughs> the laying on of hands is a participation with. We, as we lay our hands on him, we are agreeing that we want to participate in life with him, that we want to share life with him. We want him to share his life with us. And again, when I say him, I mean him as family with this congregation. And we represent the congregation up here this morning as the elders and the deacons. And so as we lay our hands on him, we say as a church, yes, amen. We celebrate faithfulness of God and we want to share life together. So let's pray. God, we are thankful this morning that you are perfect in all of your ways. Your plan, your way is perfect. As for our God, he is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. And it has pleased you this day to bring about this man and his family to help lead and to shepherd your people as Providence Bible Church. And we say thank you for that. And we ask your blessing upon him, upon them. We ask that your life would flow into them and out through them to this group of people and that we would pour our lives into them as well. And that Don would shepherd the flock of God well, that I would shepherd the flock of God well, and God, that we as a congregation would know what it means to have a desire, a passion, a vision to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time. That we would have a passion and a vision to produce reproducing 
God-glorifying, multiplying disciples in and through Providence Bible Church. God, that your glory would redound in this place, in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world. And God, that it would be clearly seen that you are God and you alone. Thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for this man and his family. We ask your blessing upon him. In Jesus' name, amen.